is truly nice to see you all this morning. The purpose of our worship is first, foremost, forever and always to thank God for the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, for all of the infinite amount of incredible blessings that we have received as a result of God's gift of his son to us. Those blessings are more than we could ever count, enumerate, think of, bring to mind. And amongst those many blessings that we sometimes can take for granted very easily is the gift of one another in the blood-washed body of our Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate it so much, Connor's prayer, and I think that maybe one of the things that has come out of this whole pandemic thing is maybe a greater appreciation for a lot of things, but for our ability to be together, for our ability to, to appreciate one another. You know, Taking his brethren for granted was certainly not something that the Apostle Paul did. Open with me this morning in your Bibles to Philippians 1, if you would, please. Paul did not take his brethren for granted, as evidenced by his words of love and affection for his beloved brethren in Philippi. I want you to look at what he said in Philippians 1, 3 and following. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, every time they came to mind, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. We're all brethren together, partakers of the gospel. We're in Christ. Verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, Paul writes, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this way or to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Verse 8. For God is my witness, Paul says, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Look what he wrote to his blood-washed brethren in the Church of Christ in first century Thessalonica, as we would turn to 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 4, and you see that something that, that Paul appreciated and did not take for granted was his brethren. He wrote there, 1 Thessalonians 1, beginning at verse 2, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. He said, we remember you all in our prayers, and we know how hard you've worked, how hard you continue to work. We know about your, your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. 
Likewise, as we begin this morning, before we begin the lesson, I, just as the Apostle Paul did there, want to express my immense gratitude to God, to God, for each and every one of my blood-washed brethren in Christ. For both those who are here with us physically at the building, as well as those who are here with us in spirit at home. I want to thank God publicly this morning for those who during this current pandemic have continually reached out. They've continually reached out to their brethren with love and care and concern and encouragement through cards and phone calls and texts and emails and especially prayed for one another. I want to thank God publicly this morning for those who have constantly reached out, ministered to, and sought to help and serve their brethren as well as those in need who do not know Christ. The work has continued. I want to thank God for those who have, in the absence of our ability to meet together, not forgotten but still continued to carry on with our 2020 vision of reaching out and seeking to share the gospel with those they love, because I know there have been those folks. Grateful to God this morning for those who have thoroughly scrubbed and cleansed and organized, sanitized in order to make the building as safe and healthy as it can possibly be for our meeting together this morning. I want to thank God this morning publicly for my brethren who have made those masks in order for others to feel more comfortable. And for those brethren this morning especially as well who have personally and, and sacrificially just expended so many hours of effort and energy over the course of the last couple of months to make sure that we have continued to have the working technology that we need in order to enable us to worship and study together, even if we're isolated and separated and apart. I could not be more humbled, more grateful, or more honored than I am to be a Christian, to be part of the body of Christ, to know servants who love like God, and to be a part of this particular group of Christians that works and worships here at Shoto Hills. Having said that, this morning, as it is obvious, marks a new beginning of sorts. It's been eight weeks since we have had the church building doors open due to the terrible effects of the coronavirus or the potential terrible effects that they can have on those we love. It has been two months of trial and turmoil, two months of isolation and separation and of social and sadly, to some degree, spiritual distancing, to some degree, on a level that most of us never imagined could ever happen and yet it has. I mean, who'd have thought we'd have seen some of the things we've seen in the last two months? Once in a lifetime, hopefully, things, right? And now as things slowly start 
to open back up, to slowly start, to begin to resume and get back to some semblance of normal, how do we handle this new start? How do we handle this new start? And hopefully, hopefully, this new perspective that we've been given. How will hopefully that new perspective affect us from this point forward with this sort of new beginning that we are in? The title of this morning's lesson is New Beginnings. And the reason for that is because, yes, what we've been through, but there are so many new beginnings in the Bible that we can learn from. And so, of course, to answer our question, which is, how do we handle this new start and hopefully this new perspective that we have now been given, our best answer comes from the words of Scripture, as our best answer comes in every situation from the words of Scripture. I want to start this morning by just talking about the example of Noah. We all know the story of Noah from Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. And maybe we can even, even begin to identify a little bit better with the aspects of Noah's ark ordeal, if you will, which I'm about to bring up this morning because of our own recent isolated quarantine type experience. Maybe we'll have a little bit better understanding as I say some of these things this morning of that idea. Noah and his immediate family were all isolated under a shelter in ark order from Almighty God. And during that time, by the way, that time was a little over a year, if you go back and do the math there in Genesis 6 through 9. Little over a year, one family, same structure, isolated from the world. And, and during that time, don't you know that they must have had some questions? I mean, look, Noah was a man of faith, right? Obviously, we know that from Genesis 6 and, and, and 7. We know he's a man of faith. He did just what God commanded. But listen, you're men and women of faith too, and don't you sometimes have questions? I do. Occasionally, you have a question. Why? Why this? Why this? And, and I love God and I trust God, but sometimes it's like, eh, why did that happen? <laughs> if you had been Noah in that ark, wouldn't you have had some questions? even though you're a person of faith, maybe questions like, is this thing really gonna float? <laughs> what happens if it starts to leak? If I'm there, I'm thinking, what happens if the lions get loose? You know, that would really spell bad news for the gazelles, right? Think about this. What kind of questions would you have? The one that I always have to joke about or think about in my own mind is, was it really that intelligent to bring two termites onto a wooden boat? Anyway, serious questions. I wonder if Noah thought during that year, is this thing ever gonna end? When will this ever end? What's it gonna be like when it ends? It's not gonna be the way it was. I know there's gonna be differences. How is this all going to affect me? 
Even after the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, that was still only the beginning. I think sometimes we get this idea in our mind that, well, the ark hit Ararat, and there it was, they all jumped out. It didn't work that way. And again, I went back and I looked at this really close and, and did some of the math and read about the, you know those things that you sometimes are studying in Scripture and you kind of read over what day of the month it was and what month it was? Well, go back and do the math. Do you know that even after the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, that that was still only the beginning of a very slow process of returning to Noah's new normal, Genesis 8, verses 1 through 19. If you read through that, you'll find out that even after the ark landed on the mountains of Ararat there, it was still another seven months. If my math is correct, it was seven more months before they could all get out of the ark. Seven months. Don't you think Noah was getting anxious? Would you have gotten, have any of you gotten anxious during this? Yeah, I'm seeing the eyes, I ain't seeing a lot of heads do this, I'm seeing the eyes go, yeah. Seven months. And, and Noah's gotta be getting anxious. I mean, some things we don't often consider, we consider Genesis six and seven and, and how Noah was this righteous man that, that did what God commanded, and that's true, but I want you to think about the reality of what he was going through here. Don't miss this. How would you like to clean up after all of those animals? I mean, don't you suppose that the goats are starting to get smelly after about, well, three days, let alone 12 months? And what about the elephants? I mean, elephants have waste. All these animals have waste. It's a closed-in thing. I, you with me on this? That was, that was, we don't often think about that, but if I'm Noah, I've got to be thinking, man, I will be so glad to get out of this literally stinking ark. I would have, it's human. I mean, he was human. I wonder what he was wondering about as he sent out that dove the first time. And that dove was gone and, and the dove comes back, and again we read this in Genesis 8, the dove comes back and Noah waits another week, another, another seven days. You ever have seven days, seven nights, kind of sleepless, wondering what's going on? I wonder what's going through his mind. He's like, is this ever gonna end? And then he sent the dove out a week later, Dove comes back with an olive branch. Oh, oh, the progress is happening, but it's so slow, right? So he waits another week, then he sends the dove out again, and the dove stays gone. Do you know that after that, he removed the covering from the ark, he saw the ground was dry, and he still had to wait another eight weeks before God told him to get out of the ark? Another eight weeks. About two months, roughly. So my question with that, as he ends his quarantine in the ark, his, his shelter and ark order from God, is that all ends and, and he comes out. What did Noah do with his new beginning? Here's the question. What did he do with his new beginning? He started out really, really well. I want you to know he started out really good in the immediate aftermath of that new beginning. Think about what Noah did. First thing Noah does, he worships and sacrifices to the Lord as well as entering into a new covenant relationship with God. We would see this in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 through chapter 9 and verse 19. Great start. But didn't go so well after that. Didn't continue along that same level. Kind of fell off a little. Noah planted a vineyard, got drunk. 
led to some family issues. Things kind of went downhill after that. Another new beginning that we would notice from Scripture is when the Israelites, who had endured 400 or so years of slavery in Egypt, when they, when, when they experienced their new beginning, when they first set their newly freed feet on the opposite seashore of the Red Sea. And, and these bodies of their, their enemies and their oppressors and their Egyptian taskmasters were washing up on the shore. It was a whole new beginning. Scripture says they went on to fear the Lord, believe the Lord and his servant Moses, and to sing and to celebrate their new beginning. And we can find all of this that I've just told you in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, through chapter 15 and verse 21. And I want you to turn with me specifically, if you would, for a moment to Exodus 15. We know the story, but I want you to look at this new beginning. They've been set free. And I want you to look at, look at the excitement and the enthusiasm and, and, and this new start and how wonderful it must have been not to have to make those bricks and serve the Egyptians anymore and, and have their, their children killed by Pharaoh and all those things. It was wonderful. Exodus 15, look at this new beginning for them. And it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I'll sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He's my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Look at verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed and have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. What an awesome day that was. What a great new beginning. What a great start. Look at verses 17 and 18. The song continues. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. They know this new beginning. They're trusting God. They're trusting God to take them where he wants to take them and, and, and honor them in all of these awesome things. However, as we all know, despite their incredible rescue, despite this, this miraculous, and it, it was, escape from slavery, and this brand new beginning and the freedom it brought them. They didn't handle it so well. They did not appreciate it enough, this new beginning. They didn't appreciate it enough to make the most of it. In fact, in just a few short days, we see them start whining and complaining. Exodus 15, verses 22 through 24. And for those of you that know the story, it, was, it, it just continued to get worse. It continued to snowball downhill. That was only just the beginning when they started complaining again. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Even to the point, listen to this, even to the point that within just six, I can count that many on my fingers, just six short weeks, they're saying, 
Wish we died in Egypt. Exodus 16, 1 through 3. Isn't that awful? Great new start, and right down. No, their wonderful new beginning resulted in only a very quick and very deadly crash landing. They either did not learn or they did not recall enough from their confinement to appropriately value or appreciate their new God-given freedom, their new God-given beginning to serve him with all their hearts. Because if they had, they would have used that new beginning to grow more in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and to seek to please and glorify him more than they ever had previously with everything they did. But we know they didn't do that. They wasted this new beginning of freedom God had given them. New beginnings. Turn with me to the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 26, would you please? New beginnings. What about Peter's new beginning? Now, as we relate this story and as I read through this, keep in mind that Peter was a disciple of Jesus, just like we are. He was a follower of Jesus. We, we know that. Yes, he was an apostle here, but remember, he's not an alien sinner. He's not somebody that doesn't know who Jesus is, as it were. But here's the thing, even Peter, having spent all that time with the Lord, he was still a human being. He was still subject to get off track, as we know. Even Peter, due to his human weakness and frailties, would still need a redo, a restart, a start over, a new beginning. And here's the thing about those new beginnings, he would need to never forget what happened prior to this new beginning in order for him to truly go on and make the most of that new beginning. And that's the thing. He would need to never forget where he was prior to that new beginning and what happened prior to it in order to go on and make the most of it. Needed to be a learning experience. Matthew chapter 26, begin following along with me in verse 31 if you would please. Then Jesus said to them, Matthew 26 and verse 31, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. <laughs> Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Not going to happen, Lord. You can quote scripture, you can tell me what they're going to do, but I ain't doing it. It's never going to happen. Careful how you use the word never. And Jesus said to him, don't know if he looked at him, don't know if he grabbed him right by the eyes and looked at him. I, I, I don't know. I know that, that he was talking to all of them just before this. And he says, all of you will be made to stumble in verse 31. And, and Peter says, I never will. Jesus said to him, assuredly, this is the Lord, this is the Lord whom Peter had confessed as Lord, Son of God. Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. 
Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Even if I have to die with you, Lord, they can just put me to this. It ain't going to happen, Lord. <laughs> we know the story, but turn with me anyway to verse 67 of this same chapter. Jesus is arrested and then they spat in his face and beat him. Others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us Christ, who is the one who struck you? Jesus is going through this, this terrible beating. While that happened, verse 69, Peter sat outside in the courtyard. Servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all in public, before them all saying, I, I, I don't know what you're saying. When he'd gone out to the gateway, he, I don't know if he moved on because he was uncomfortable with her recognizing him or what, but he, he goes out to the gateway. Same situation happens again. Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denies it with us. I don't even know him. Three, three and a half years with Jesus, watched him heal. I mean, Peter's own mother-in-law has been healed by Jesus, right? He said, I don't even know who he is. A little later, those who stood by, verse 73, came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them. Your speech betrays you. Sort of like when you hear me trying to speak with Southern R's and put them in the wrong place. You know, your speech betrays you. One of those deals, right? Then he began to curse and swear. Peter, an apostle of the Lord, he begins to curse and swear. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So he went out and he wept. Bitterly, the scripture says, wouldn't you? He went out and he wept bitterly. What would you have done? How do you feel when you let the Lord down? And he denied him, just. How would you feel if it were you? What would you do? Let me ask you a question. If this happened to you, would you like a redo? Would you like a restart? I sure would. You know that commercial, want to get away, right? This is that on steroids and then some, okay? Peter, want to get away? Oh. If I were Peter, I would want to start over. And I'm sure Peter wanted to start over. And here's the beauty of it, brethren. Lord, did he ever get one from the Lord? Peter got the most beautiful start over. Thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember how in Mark 16 and verse 7, how the angels gave the message to the ladies there at the tomb, go tell my disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. Jesus had a fresh start for Peter. Do you remember that morning on the beach in John 20 when the disciples were out fishing and the whole story unfolds and they wind up on the beach and they know it's the Lord. 
you remember that morning when Peter was reaffirmed by the Lord? When he was reassured by the Lord that the Lord had a place for him. When he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, I still got a place for you. I still got a job for you. Peter had this wonderful start over. He didn't have to wonder about it. He didn't have to, to sit there in remorse, but, but, but this new start, what did he do with it? That's the key. He got it. What did he do with it? I'll tell you what he did with this new beginning. Peter went on from that moment to make the absolute most of his new beginning that he could. Think about it. Think about it. Think about what Peter did with that. I, I, feed my sheep, and he's in the middle of the Lord's disciples again, and, and he knows it, and Jesus has got a job for him. What does he do on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2? He stands up while there's all this confusion and all these people around, and they don't know what's going on, and they think the disciples are drunk. And Peter stands up, and he said, oh, no, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, this ain't the same Peter who's sitting there with a small group saying, I, I don't know who he is, right? He made the most of his new start. He preached a gospel sermon, the first gospel sermon after Jesus' ascension back to heaven in Acts chapter 2. As we go on and read through Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, we see a man who made the absolute most of his new beginning. He wasn't denying the Lord again. And when they threatened him, when they beat him, when they asked him questions, the very same group of men who had put or were responsible for Jesus having been crucified, that same council, elders, that same group, it's less than two months later. Peter knew what they were capable of, and what did Peter do? He said, you, he said, with the help of these godless men, put him to death. That's what, that's what you did. Peter's changed man. He made the most of his new beginning. And finally, fourthly and finally, the Saul of Tarsus' new beginning. And I want you to really think about this, just, just in your mind for a minute. Just really lock in on this question. What do you suppose was going through Saul of Tarsus' mind as his still wet feet? as his still wet feet took those first few steps out of the waters of his Christian baptism and he was a fully and completely forgiven of all of his sins person in the eyes of God. What do you think was going through his mind? Remember what this man's done. This is a man who was raised with a religion and he was the first in his class, he had the best pedigree, he had it all, he learned from the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of his day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to the law, blameless, he says in Philippians 3. This man was so full of his former religion, or his religion at this point, that he is willing to kill, how many, I don't want to see a show of hands. <laughs> We're not called to kill for our convictions. We're called to live for them, we're called to love for them, but we're not called to kill for them. But he killed for him, literally caused people to be put to death. He was responsible for their death in that sense. He caused them to blaspheme, Acts 26, 9 through 11, chased them down, harried them down, on the way to Damascus to arrest men and women. He, I mean, both, he dragged them out of houses, the scripture says. 
He came face to face with the Lord on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and uh, retold in 22 and, and 16. Lord strikes him blind, they have a conversation. He's told to go into Damascus where I'll be told he must do. And, and according to Acts 9, he sat there for three days with neither food nor water, praying. You got the blood of God's people on your hands. You know that everything you've been taught runs contrary to what God wants you to do. Some of us maybe struggle and feel guilty sometimes when we have a problem breaking an old habit. Paul had the blood of God's people on his hands. And he sat there for three days. No food. No drink. And all he did for three days was had time in his own darkness of blindness. He couldn't look around. He couldn't focus on anything else. He couldn't see. And all he had time to look at was inside and what he had done. Three days. Not three minutes. Not three hours. Three days. What would you do? What would you do if you were him? And then Ananias shows up, talks to him and says in Acts 22, verse 16, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I can have my sins, all of that, forgiven just like that by the grace of God? Let me ask you a question. If you're him at that point, do you say, well, maybe I need to think about it. No! By the grace of God, all of that can be forgiven and, and put away as far as the east is from the west. And, and are you, Really? I can have that new start. My slate be as clean as, as, as the day I was born. I can have that? Show me where it's at. And he's baptized to have his sins washed away. What do you suppose was going through his mind those first few fleeting little steps out of the baptistry, or, well, probably on the baptistry, but wherever he was baptized? Would you be grateful if it were you? I got a new start, now what am I going to do with it? I'll tell you what he did with it. He never forgot where he came from, and so he didn't take his new start for granted. And he was going to make the absolute most of it. Do you remember what he said about his new second chance, new beginning opportunity in Galatians 2 and verses 20 and 21? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. He knew it was all about God's grace. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. What does that mean when he says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God? I'll tell you exactly what it means. Paul said, I know I got a new start by the grace of God, and I'm going to make the absolute most of it. That's the end of it. All I've, after all that God has done for me, I'm going to make the, I can say this, after all that God has done for me, there we go, 
I'm going to make the most of this new beginning. And immediately, immediately, the scripture says in Acts 9, verses 18 through 21, immediately, he started spending time with the disciples and preaching and proving that Jesus is the Christ in order to make more disciples. Fresh starts. New beginnings. Thanks to the grace of God, they come in many different forms and fashions. One of the greatest, of course, of which is that new birth. That new birth of being born again of the water and spirit as one repents, puts their old man of sin to death in the waters of Christian baptism for the forgiveness of their sins, and they, they rise up to walk in, in newness of life, a blood-bought, forgiven member of the Lord's church, of the saved body of Christ. Surely there can be no better new beginning than that. And as I'm sure you probably all know, but I just rejoice in it this morning, talking about brethren. As I'm sure, as I said, most of you know, we have two new sisters in Christ since the coronavirus started. We have two new members of the church, two who've put that old woman in their case of, of sin to death in Brandy and Melanie, and they have risen up to experience a new beginning. But new beginnings come in many forms thanks to the grace of God. What about this one? What about the new beginning that every child of the living God has each and every morning, although most of us probably don't wake up and remember to thank God for this gift before we get up each morning, but what about that gift? You know what that gift is? Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. You know what that means? That means that we need to wake up every morning and thank God as a Christian we have a fresh, clean slate for the day. Isn't, isn't God awesome? His mercies are new every morning, no matter the mess or the chaos we may see around us. Just as Jeremiah concluded in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 25, where it says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. You know, for some of the sins and stunts and weaknesses and things that you and I do, holy God, there are some days he ought to consume us. But Jeremiah put, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Are they new the morning after I messed up the day before? Oh yeah, they're new every morning. Isn't God awesome? That's a new beginning. Every day is a new beginning. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. And you can't help but hear that line and think of the song, right? The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him is the rest of that Lamentations text, chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. And sometimes we forget that latter line. So, speaking of new beginnings, in the midst of chaos and messes and everything that we can see around us and have recently, that brings me back to the new beginning, that we are in the process 
of seeing start to happen as we start reopening, reassembling, and we start that process once again of working together, worshiping together to glorify God in this community. What have we learned during this recent pandemic that will make a difference in the way we go about living our lives in the aftermath of this new start of sorts, this new beginning? Has anything happened to you in the last couple of months that might have an impact on where you go from here as we begin to restart again with worship together and work together in the Lord's Church? We've been working apart. There's been a lot of work going on. But as we start to have the opportunities to do things together, be it Christ aid or lectureships or meals of love or whatever it may be, what have we learned that might make a difference in how we go about living our lives in the aftermath of this new start or this new reset? Have we learned and had emphasized to us, us enough just how frail, just how fleeting, and just how quickly lost or canceled so many of those things that we once thought were indispensable to our lives can happen? Have we learned that? Have we learned how much more important it is to pour ourselves into the everlasting service of God rather than the never-lasting pursuits of this world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. As I was putting together an article, I, I, it, it hit me. Some of the things that, some of the things that people do with their time and effort and energy and, and put their heart and soul into outside of serving God, other things. In the end, every one of those things is going to be lost anyway, isn't it? Every last one of them. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. Outside of our relationship to God, when people put other things before their relationship with God, which is, is going to be an eternal thing, one way or the other, and, and they put all those other things in the way and they let them get in the way, they're going to lose all those things when they go to meet God anyway. The only thing they're going to be out then is a relationship with God. And so, have we learned how much more important it is to pour ourselves into the everlasting service of God rather than the everlasting pursuits of this world, maybe in a new and fresh way? Another question, what will those who may, who may, and every congregation, I assume, probably has at least one. That's an assumption on my part, but... What will those who may not have consistently and wholeheartedly as they know they'd ought to have, those who didn't really seek to improve their knowledge of and their service to and their relationship with God up to this point, what are they going to do with this new beginning? What are they going to do with this new beginning? What will you do? This is for all of us as Christians to answer. What will you do with your new start? Here's the question. Will you be more like 
Noah and the Israelites, or those who, like in the aftermath of 9-11, for those of you that remember 9-11, within just a few weeks, went back to business as usual, normal lives, will we be more like that? Or will you be more like Peter, more like Paul, who once God got their attention, once God gave them a, a new start, and I realize it's a new start that's a little bit different, but, but new starts come in many forms and fashions. Will you be more like Peter and Paul, who, who once God got their attention and got them to rethink things a little bit, or a whole bunch, <laughs> and he gave them another chance, he gave them a fresh start, he gave them this, this new beginning. In their love, in their appreciation, made the absolute most of it. They made the absolute most of it by working harder, standing stronger, and being bolder for the Lord Jesus Christ than they had ever been before. Which of those two groups will we be more like with this new beginning that God has given us? Today is indeed the start of a new beginning. Only you can answer what you will do with yours. This morning, does anybody here who's not experienced a new beginning of being born again of the water and the spirit, anybody here who's not repented, turned back to God, been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, so that they might rise up a new creature to begin a new life, a complete new beginning? We'd love to have that happen this morning. Or if you need the prayers of the church, that you'll be stronger with this refresh, or whatever you want to call it, that we've been allowed to have over the last few months and continue this process of. We'd love to pray for you. I asked a question the other night of a small group of brothers who was together, who feels stronger by having been separated for two months? <laughs> no hands went up. Because we're stronger when, we're, when we are able to be together more. Do you need the prayers? Do you need to make a new beginning by being baptized into Christ? If you need anything this morning, please let us know as we stand and as we sing.